Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. We're uh, jumping right into business tonight because I am so excited to share with you. Hydrate for me real quick. Man, Kirkland puts these caps on good. I shouldn't have told you it's Kirkland from Costco. You thought it was anointed, but it's just from Costco. It is anointed? Look, I'm so excited with you, so I'm not going to play any games. We're going to get right down to business tonight. You know all my games. You've heard them if you've been here before. Um, let's get right down to work. Anyone here like art? Anyone here like art? Paintings, art? You know anything about it? Anyone? You're cool. I know nothing about it, okay? I like it. I just really don't know too much about it. But there is one art piece that I particularly love. I actually have it hung up in my office. Um, it's meant a lot to me. And it's pretty cool. Kike's got it right here. Could you show it to him, Kike? Show him, show him that piece. I think it's going to come up on the screen so you can see it too. Here we go. Thank you. This right here is a Rembrandt. Anyone heard of the artist Rembrandt? Dutch artist, 17th century. This is from 1633. And it's called The Storm on the Sea. The Storm on the Sea. Who's seen it before? You've seen it before? Okay, it's a, it's a beautiful depiction of the Holy Scriptures, Mark chapter 4 specifically, or one of the other two gospel accounts of this incident. And it's a scene where Christ is sleeping in the boat. You heard about that? This is an amazing piece of art because it's got spiritual significance, which is incredible. But I told you I don't have much interest in art. What I do have interest in is a good heist story. You know, a, a, good, a good movie or a good TV show about a heist. Anyone else like that? This, this has an incredible story. So let me share it with you and then we'll get in the word of God. This storm on the sea currently is valued at half a billion dollars, $500 million. It's not that one right there. I really wish it was. Y'all, the river would have a whole lot more if it was. That's a cheap print. Just like this, the river, right? This is a cheap imitation of the real river, the Holy Spirit, the real river, you know? Um, but it's worth today. It's valued at $500 million. And why is it valued so high? It's valued so high because no one knows where it is. It was stolen in 1990 in the city of Boston from an elite private art gallery where it was stolen. And this is the largest art heist in all of history. Let me tell you how it happened. Two wise guys, apparently real wise, dressed up and impersonated police officers, and they showed up at this art gallery, and they went to the two security guards who were on duty at 1 a.m. on March 18th, 1990. Today's March 21st, pretty close. And they said, hey, you guys, we have to do an investigation here, and we're putting you two under arrest. And they put them in handcuffs, and they turned them against the wall in the basement, locked them up to a pipe, and went upstairs and stole like 13 pieces of art, including this one, which at the time was worth maybe 200 million. Now it's worth 500 million. 
Today, to this date in 2023, if you know anything about that painting, the FBI will give you $10 million as a tip just for information. Don't call them and say you saw it at the river, okay? We don't want that kind of, you know, prosperity gospel, scandalous stuff. We don't need any of that up in here, okay? Don't do that to me. But it's interesting. It's a very interesting story about this. And that really piqued my interest in it. So then I got studying the painting a little bit more because the detail that Rembrandt uses is incredible. And it's, it's this, this personification of the story that we get in Mark chapter 4 where the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee in Israel and all of a sudden a storm comes up out of nowhere and what happens? Jesus is sleeping in the boat. So before y'all Christians get judgy on Jesus for sleeping during the storm, let me give you a little context into Mark chapter 4 and tell you what Christ is dealing with. Um, in Mark chapter 3, right before this chapter that we're going to read in a moment, he has to deal with this group called the Pharisees. You heard of them? The Pharisees? The Pharisees come to him and try to cast a demon out of him, out of Jesus Christ, the name that every demon must flee from. They try to cast a demon out of him. So he's got to tolerate that. Then shortly after that, his family comes to him. You know, Jesus Christ had four brothers and at least two sisters not James or Jude, but some of his other family comes to him and they go, Jesus, you have lost your mind. You are crazy saying that you're the Messiah. Who do you think you are? And they actually try to physically remove him from his ministry. So he's dealing with that. He's got the Pharisees. He's got family betraying him. He's dealing with all kinds of situations. He's just taught an amazing parable called the mustard seed, faith like a mustard seed. You heard of that? Um, to, to presumably thousands of people, out in hot Israel. Israel is a hot, hot place. I have been there 26 times. I know all about its heat in the summer. It's dry and it's hot. No microphone. Crowds bigger than this with no microphone. He's exhausted. He's been through a lot. Remember, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. So he's exhausted. So before we get all on Jesus, how could you sleep through the storm when your disciples are struggling? You need to understand the context. But then that brings us to our scripture, verse 35, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Would you pick a neighbor and say, the other side? Come on, say it like a preacher. The other side. The other side. Okay. Good things, y'all, are on the other side. Good things are on the other side. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, Christ, just as he was, in the boat. Okay, look at your second choice neighbor, not your first choice. Second ain't bad, y'all. Don't be offended. Second choice neighbor, find him right now. Second choice, and say, in the boat. Better than that. Come on, in the boat. This guy's coming across the stage to find his second choice. Look at that for a second choice. That's a lot of love. Um, in the boat, in the boat. So Christ is in the boat. There was also other boats with him. Um, let's stop there for a second. The boat in this context is the vehicle, quite literally, that God is going to use to transport Jesus and his disciples to the other side. Okay, and this happens a lot in the Gospels because the Sea of Galilee is a place where Christ performed 19, at least 19 of his miracles. It's got big cities like Capernaum and Tiberias and all these other hot spots for biblical encounters that we now know about today. So the boat is the vehicle that God uses them to get to their next assignment. How many of you know that in life, 
Sometimes you go from mountaintop to mountaintop, and that's great, but along the way you have to go through this thing called a, a valley. That's right. Well, this boat is about to be their valley, okay? Their journey, their ride in the boat is about to be their valley. And we see that in verse 37, which is going to come up. Something happens. A furious storm came up and was broke over the boat that it was nearly swamped. You see it depicted in this picture right here, okay? This is not the little waves you see up in Muskoka, all right? This is, this is a furious storm that rages and comes up out of nowhere. There's two other accounts of this in the gospel. One calls it a sudden storm. The other one says it's like an earthquake. So they're on the boat, and everything is peaceful. Everything is calm. And in just a minute, that's the situation that they're looking at. Their boat is like this, and it's about to get swamped by the waves. How many of you know life can be the exact same way? Things can be going great. She says she knows it. Life can be going great. You can be on the mountaintop. You can think you've got it all figured out, and then you receive one phone call. They're gone. You lost them. You can't get them back. One phone call. I'm sorry, sir. It's cancer. We don't know what we can do. One phone call, we don't need you at work anymore. I'm sorry, We're, we got to lay you off. But I've been working here for so many years. Life, y'all, can change in an instant. And this is what happened to the disciples. They are on a spiritual high. They are witnessing miracles. They are receiving teaching from God's son in the flesh. That's about 99 million times better than teaching from Ryan McVitie. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are on a spiritual high at this moment. And all of a sudden... Suddenly, like an earthquake, rises up this storm. But there's good news that comes next. The next verse says this, Jesus was in the stern. Those of you who are nautically challenged, like I was, the stern is the back. Jesus is in the back of the boat, just like you see in that picture. But there's a problem. He's sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples wake him up and said to him, teacher, rabbi, teacher, don't you care if we drown? How can you be sleeping on a cushion? Do you see these waves right now? Don't you care if we drown? Imagine asking the one who is going to die on a cross for you if he cares. See, they didn't know that yet, so we can't judge them, but that's the situation. They're asking the one who's going to die on the cross for them if he cares. What does he do? Because he absolutely cares. He gets up. He gets up and he rebukes the wind. You'll see the verse coming on the screen. He rebukes the wind and said to the waves, three incredible words, peace, be still. And the water just becomes calm instantly. With three words, three words, the water becomes calm and dies down instantly. And then he says to his disciples in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Why do you have such little faith? In the book of Matthew, it's put away, you might have heard, oh, ye of little faith. How come you don't have faith? Did you not just see the miracles that I have done? He's saying, I'm in your boat with you. I'm the savior of the world, the Messiah. You think your boat is going to go down if I'm in it with you? That's what he's saying to them. Oh, ye of little faith. And the disciples, after seeing what he did, in verse 41, they were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this man? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this man? 
they are terrified. I don't know, have you ever been in a situation in your life where you see something so powerful that it's terrifying? You know, you see a jet engine take off on a plane, it's terrifying because the amount of power it has. You stand under Niagara Falls and you see it coming down, it's terrifying because you feel the power of it. The disciples were in a storm. They thought they were going to die. The thing that they thought was going to end them ends up allowing them to see that Jesus is not just a man. He's the Son of God in the flesh, and he indeed is the Messiah. See, the thing that terrifies them is the thing that gives them the faith to birth the early church, and ultimately 11 of them carry that faith all the way to the point where they are beheaded and martyred for the church. And God used this storm to do that. See, there will be storms that will come up in our life. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but God doesn't promise us a life without storms. But here's the thing you got to know in storms, and this is the first point to my message. He is in your boat. He is in your boat. Anybody thankful that he's in your boat? He is in your boat. Don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word for it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Not while you're just at the river. Not on Sundays while you're in church. He is with you wherever you go. Any place that you go. But that's good encouraging preaching and all. That's the type of stuff that gets applause. But let me get real with you. Is there anyone in this room who, like me, has gotten into a situation where you sometimes feel like, God, I know you're with me everywhere I go, but um, are you uh, sleeping right now? <laughs> because I, I'm in a storm, and it hasn't been a little while. <laughs> the waves are getting bigger. My boat's taking on more and more water. Uh, Jesus, you know, maybe you could just uh, wake up for a minute, you know? If you're with me, maybe you could intervene. I'm sure it was like that for the disciples in this situation. I'm sure they didn't immediately jump to screaming, teacher, don't you care? But I think sometimes, I think sometimes God is just waiting for you to go to him first when things are falling apart. You know, not to try to fix it on your own, not to try to explain it away, not to try to look for a way out of it. Look at the disciples, what they're doing in this picture. Look at all of them. One is trying to climb up the mast to go adjust the sail. The other one is trying to work a jib. The other one is trying to move the oar on the back to direct them. Do you see the size of those waves? None of those efforts are going to save them. None of them, but they have the savior of the world in their boat. I don't know about you, but if that was me in that boat, I would have been like, yo, Jesus, do your thing, bro. I saw you raise dead people. You think you could handle these waves for me real quick? Like, why are you sleeping, man? I think sometimes God is just waiting for us to go to him first. That's simple preaching, but really think about it in your life. When things go wrong, do you really go to him first? Or do you try to fix it on your own? Because I've tried that many, many times, and I tell you, it doesn't work. But see, we can't get too judgy on the disciples here because Jesus is asleep. And here's the thing. When he's asleep, you don't hear from him. And when you don't hear from God in your life, your assumption you make is that he isn't working. You hear what I'm saying? You don't hear from him and you just assume that he's not doing anything about your situation because your situation gets worse and gets worse and gets worse. What I want to tell you tonight 
is the simple, dumb, grade one fact that he is in your boat is enough that you don't need to worry about the storm. Come on, somebody. Anyone believe that? It's enough that you don't need to worry about the storm. You're not going down if the Savior of the world is in your boat with you. That's enough, and he's with you wherever you go. On the highs, on the mountaintops, in the lows of the valley. That, my friends, is more than enough. You know why? Because that man in that picture, Jesus Christ in the stern, he only knows one thing, and that thing is called victory. He does not know defeat. The devil thought he was defeated on Friday, and while the devil and his demons were partying, he was sneaking down to hell and stealing the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and defeating death forever. He only knows victory. So if he's on your team, and he's in your boat, go to him. Don't climb the mast of the sail and try to fix it on yourself and fall off into the storm. Go to him, y'all. He is in your boat. Whatever it is that is your storm, whatever the it is that you are struggling with, trust that if he is in your boat, he will use it for his purpose. Whatever it is must bow to him. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Amen? Amen? So that's number one. And in this particular instance, this picture that you see, God allows the storm. Jesus Christ allows the storm for two reasons. One, he needed a nap. (laughs) He was tired. He was sleeping on the cushion. He was dealing with the Pharisees. Sometimes you need a nap from certain people. You know what I'm saying? Parents are like, amen, praise the Lord. Two hours from my kids, I'd be a new person. Um, Sometimes you need a nap, but that's not the real reason why. The real reason why he allowed the storm is what I told you before. He allowed the storm so that the disciples could see who he was. Sometimes when you are in a brutal storm and you turn to Jesus Christ and it gets worse and worse and worse, but then it miraculously changes, he speaks and the wind and waves obey, you have no choice but to then go, who is this man? And to give him the glory. And you realize that you're not the man, that he is the man and he is in your boat. That storm would forever change the lives of those 11, those 12 disciples. 11 of them, like I said to you before, would go on to birth the early church and then even be beheaded for the cause. It changed them forever. Y'all, if he is in your boat, there is no storm that will stop you from getting to the other side. He has an other side planned for you, and it's a good plan. It's a plan not to harm you. It's a hope and a future to prosper you. So if you're in the boat, don't be scared. Don't be sad. Um, I was on a boat once, newly married. Where are my uh, dating people at? Who's dating right now? You're dating somebody. Okay. Oh, wow. Married people? Let me see your hands. Married people? Okay, we got some more single people. Where are you at? Single people? Without fail, some single person always yells. They're just announcing it. Single, me, choose me. Right here. Pokemon, I choose you. Um, that's blasphemy in church, at least that's the way I was raised. Um, dating people, listen real people who are dating, or if you're single, listen up to this story. If you're married, you've already learned this lesson. Is Lindsay? Lindsay is here. My wife's here. Shoot. I thought maybe she'd be with my son. Um, we were newly married. This is eight years ago. We've been married almost nine years. Um, October 14th, 2014. Second best day of my life. Salvation was number one, okay? Um, we were newly married, and we were in Hawaii. Beautiful place. Anyone been to Hawaii? Gorgeous. Beautiful. One of the most beautiful places in the world. 
And we're on a boat with all these people. She doesn't know where this, do you know where this is going? You remember this? Um, we're on a boat with a bunch of people and it's a sailboat. It's kind of like that boat, a little more new, a little more modern with a whole bunch of people. And Lindsay, I'm a water person. Okay, I grew up in water, around water, snorkel, dive, all of it. Love it. Um, Lindsay didn't. She's a good swimmer, but she had never snorkeled before. And we get out about a mile, maybe two miles off the coast of Hawaii. And I go, you know what, man, this would be a great place to snorkel. And the boat stops and a couple other people are snorkeling, right? It's not like a private boat, so there's other people. And, um, and um, Lindsay's like, but I've never snorkeled before. I'm like, babe, don't worry, you'll love it. It'll be great. It'll be easy, right? She's like, well, what do I do? Don't worry, just get in with me, I'll show you. That's how my family teaches people. You know, they just push you in the pool and then hope you don't drown, <laughs> sink or swim, literally. So that's what I did. I threw her in. I said, don't worry, I'll stay with you. I'll stay close to you. Now, in hindsight, teaching someone to snorkel in the middle of the ocean next to a boat that's not anchored and the boat moves, it, it, not in a storm like that, but in a pretty good choppy constant wave might not have been the best choice ever for a newlywed husband. Um, but I did it, whatever. I push her in, throw the goggles at her. I'm like, show her how to do it. The waves, though, keep slapping her in the face, right? The waves are just coming. I'm like, she's not really enjoying this experience. So I teach her a few things. I'm like, babe, if you, you, know, if you keep your eyes down and you look down, you can trust that, you know, um, you can breathe, you can snorkel, and, and, you know, you won't constantly be hit by the waves and you get to experience everything under. So she starts doing that. She's a good swimmer. She learns quick. And she's doing great. She's pointing out fish to me. She's like, there's Nemo and there's Dory. Was that her name, Dory? I don't know. Another fish. And she's pointing all out. And then, no joke, some sea turtles come, which are beautiful. They're like, what's up, bro? And, and, and you know, she's, she's loving it and she's having a great time. But I noticed that the waves are getting a little bit bigger because <laughs> I've, I've been out there a few times. And I don't obey my advice. I put my head up and I start looking at the waves and they're hitting me all over. And then I see the boat and I'm like, shoot, we're a long way from the boat. We're not close to the boat anymore. She doesn't see. She's just experiencing the ocean floor for the first time and she's loving it. And um, I look over and I see the captain of the boat and the captain does a signal. Y'all, this is the signal that the captain does. Anybody know what this means? Shark week, baby. I see that signal and something happens in my body. I'm not trying to get eaten. You know what I'm saying? I just absolutely bolt towards the boat. I just arm over arm get into that boat. I'm praying the sinner's prayer like three times while I'm getting into the boat. I'm confessing every sin to Christ that I've done in my life before I get to that boat because I just know sharks coming for me. And I finally get to the boat. And I get to the swim ladder, and I pull myself up out of the water, and I'm so proud of myself. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. I didn't get eaten. And I go, shoot, I have a wife. This is bad. And I look up, and the captain's looking at me with judgment in his eyes, and I'm like, oh, Lord. So I look back, and there's Lindsay, and she pops her head up. She's looking all cute. Looking at me. And then she's like, where'd you go? You know, why, why are you over there? Why'd you go over here? And then I learned this did not mean shark. That's what I thought. It was worse. This meant whale. Like 50-foot whale. The size of the boat that we're on. And I'm looking back at this beautiful woman. And she's now alone. Everyone else is on the boat. And I'm not kidding, y'all. About 100 yards from her comes up out of the water this 50-foot whale 
And the captain is looking at me like I'm the biggest scumbag of all time. Because I have left her, I have forsaken her, and I have abandoned her to be eaten in the belly of a big fish. Just like Jonah. Were you running from an assignment? I don't know, maybe. She wasn't. That's a funny story. But what I want you to know, God is not like a cheap new husband, okay? I don't do that anymore. I've learned some things. God doesn't just abandon you because situations don't look good for him because you do bad. He doesn't just abandon you. In fact, he doesn't let a whale take you out. He'll even use a whale for his purpose, a big fish, just like he used it for Jonah. Why? Because all conditions obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. But boat rides, the journey in between, are unpredictable. In boat rides, sometimes you get storms, sometimes you get bad husbands. You just never know what's going to happen on a boat ride. So here's my second point. We're getting close to the end. Focus on who, not what. Look to your neighbor, your first round pick, the one you picked at the beginning. Say, focus on who. Second round pick, y'all, second round pick. Not what. Focus on who, not what. Now, this picture that I've been telling you about, this is not the only time the disciples were stuck in a storm. They were getting pretty familiar with this thing called storms. And remember, a lot of them were fishermen, so they're very familiar with storms. There's another time where there's a storm. It's in Matthew chapter 14. They just finished witnessing an amazing miracle that God does in front of them and through them called the feeding of the 5,000. You ever heard of that, right? They rob loaves from this poor kid. Um, And then God multiplies it. Jesus multiplies it and feeds the 5,000. It's an amazing miracle. They just finished that. Again, they're on a high. And then Matthew 14, verse 22, Jesus says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Look back at your neighbor and say, the other side. I'll I'll make you stop preaching soon. Don't worry. The other side, while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so it's done. Jesus is about to do the benediction. He tells them, get in the boat, y'all, and go to the other side. So what do they do? They listen, but here, here they go again, right? Back in the boat, needing to get to their next assignment, going from glory to glory. That too can be a big word. The Bible promises you grace to grace, glory to glory. But that two in the middle can be a big word. That can be a big season. In verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went on up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Next verse. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against to it, i.e. another storm. They're working and they're rowing and they're paddling, another part of the gospel says, and they're just not getting anywhere. But, verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Yo, walking on the lake. Okay, this is, this is, a, this is a big deal. And when the disciples, verse 26, saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. There's only one thing worse than being caught in a storm. Being caught in a storm and now seeing a ghost. They say, it's a ghost. Not only are we in a storm, now we got, a, got a, we got a ghost to deal with. And they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear. 
But verse 27, Jesus identifies himself. Jesus immediately says to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, they were in a storm. This time they didn't, Jesus wasn't in their boat. They thought he wasn't with them, but he was. He walks up, he comes, don't be afraid, take courage, it is I. And then Peter, Simon Peter, I love Peter, man. He says, Lord, if it's you, testing, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water with you. Tell me to come out on the water with you. And I don't think it was that Peter had a lack of faith that God could show up in the storm, because the miracles Peter's seen now are unbelievable. But I do think this, sometimes in a storm, you can't see God, but God can see you. Sometimes in a storm in your life, you don't see him, but rest assured that he still sees you. Even when he's up on the mountaintop, where does he have his eyes? He has his eyes on you. He still sees you, but sometimes you can't see him and you can't access him. So Peter says, if it's you, come on out. And what does Jesus say in response in verse 29? He says, sure, come. Come on out. Come on out. And then Peter gets down out of the boat. And what does he do? He looks at Jesus Christ and he walks on water. He walks out on water. This is an amazing miracle. But then there's a problem. Peter takes his eyes off Christ, off of the who, and he starts looking at the wind over here, and he starts feeling the waves crashing up against him over here, and what happens? He immediately starts to sink and screams, Lord, please save me. And Jesus, in his grace, what does he do? He saves him. But there's a lesson to hear. See, when his eyes were fixed on the who, he walks on water. When he takes his eyes off of Jesus Christ, the who, and looks at the what is happening all around, what happens? He ends up sinking. And verse 32, they climb in the boat. The wind again dies down, stops as soon as Christ gets in their boat. And then they say, last time they said, who is this man? What do they say this time? They say, truly, you are the son of God. Now it's not a question anymore of who is this man. Now they know. They're like, truly, this is the son of God. If he can make Peter walk on water, we've seen how Peter lives. If, if they can make Peter walk on water, truly, this is the son of God. Y'all, what I'm trying to tell you and what this scripture story is trying to tell you is that when you focus on who you have in your boat during the storm, you not only are not going to sink, you are going to witness miracles. You're going to be able to walk on water. But soon as you take your eyes off of him and you start looking around at the what, what happens? You immediately start to sink. As soon as you start down the what ifs, remember last week we talked about what ifs versus what nows? As soon as you get stuck in those what ifs and you start thinking, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if this wind takes me out, what if these waves make me sink and I drown here? What if, what if, as soon as you start to do that, you start to sink. Don't watch the wind and the waves. Watch the one who the wind and the waves obey. You heard me? Don't watch the wind and the waves. Watch the ones that the wind and the waves obey. Ecclesiastes chapter four, 11, verse 4 puts it this way. Puts it this way. It says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Don't wait and look at the circumstances to make your decision. Look at your Savior to make your decision. Focus on the who and you won't sink. You will rise. You may even get to see miracles when you focus on the who. Do you put your eyes on the wind and the waves or do you put your eyes on the one who the wind and the waves obey?
That's the question I'm asking you tonight. When stuff hits the fan, when things get bad, where do you put your eyes? Do you look at what is happening all around you or do you look at the who? Guys, it's, it's counterintuitive though, in the middle of a storm, to look at the who. In the middle of a storm, when all that stuff is raging around you, your human intuition is to look at the problems that are coming your way, to look off the bow of the boat, the front of the boat, and look and see what the next wave is that's coming towards you. What's the bow of the boat? It's the front. But do you remember what I told you in Mark chapter 4? Jesus wasn't in the bow. Where was Jesus in the boat? He was in the stern. He was in the back of the boat. When you look off the bow and you just look at the next wave that's coming, the wind that's coming, the next storm, let me tell you what you do when you look at the bow. You build on worry. You build on worry when you are looking off the bow. And you start seeing all the bad hypothetical scenarios, the ways in your mind flashing before you that this could work out and the ways it's not going to work out and the ways you might die and what this storm might do to you and your family, you build on a worry. But what I'm trying to tell you tonight is that when you are in the boat season, going from glory to glory, from assignment to assignment, just like the disciples were, don't build on worry. Don't get consumed by the what and look over the bow. Don't get consumed by what is happening around you. Don't bow boat. What the heck do you mean, pastor? What do you mean boat? This is what I mean. Build on a truth. Don't build on a worry. Build on a truth when you are in a storm. See, the what ifs are your worries. And we are real good at building those. But when you are in your boat, don't do that. Don't build on a worry. Build on a truth. Don't just build on any truth. Certainly don't build on your truth. 2023 will tell you, listen to your truth. Obey your truth. Your truth is so limited compared to God's truth. Our perspective compared to his perspective. Don't just build on a truth. Build on the truth. Build on the truth. His name is Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 31.8 tells you what the truth is. It says that the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That's the truth in the storm. That's the truth that you got to build to. That's the truth in the storm. If he is with you, you are not going down. If he is in your boat, you are not going down today is what I'm trying to tell you. But to bow to the storm, to look out at the what, to bow to it, always results in sinking, always results in a feeling of drowning. And look, in 2023, if you're not worried about stuff, I could tell you 10 things right now you should be worried about. First of all, I'm a professional worrier, um, but there's a lot in 2023 that you could be worried about. Let's be honest. The choice you have is to build on those worries or to build on the truth that he's with you, that, that you're going to make it through. See, to boat not only gets you to your next assignment to build on a truth, it lets you experience miracles along the way. Because he's a wonder-working God and he's with you every step of the way. You don't even worry about the storm anymore when you build on a truth. You don't worry about the wind and the waves because you're walking on them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you're focused on him, just like Peter was, you're walking on them. So you don't worry anymore about them. Guys, storms are coming. Jonathan, you can, yeah, please play those keys for me. Storms are coming. There are some preachers maybe that have told you, you know, you follow Jesus Christ and, 
and life will be grand and, and you won't suffer anymore and, and things won't be hard. That's not the truth. That's not the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. Storms are coming. The question is, when you are in the storm, where are you looking? Because where you look, you will go. Are you looking at the who? Or are you consumed with the what that's happening around you? Do you bow, build on worry, or do you boat, build on a truth? That's the question that you have tonight. Do you bow or do you build on a truth? See, when you build on a truth, the, the, the ways that God can work it out are, are limitless. Not just a truth. When you build on the way, the truth, and the life, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is those three things. When you build on him, the truth, the way, and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, when you build on him, you are not going down. You are not sinking. So do you build on him, that truth that you can take to the bank, or do you build on worry? I'm asking you so many times because I really want you to think about it as you live out each day. What do you build on? And you might say to me, Pastor, okay, that's cool, that's great. I've heard that, focus on God. Wow, deep sermon. But, but how? When I'm in the storm, I don't see him. Seems like maybe he's sleeping, or maybe the waves are so big that I can't see him through it. So how? How do I focus on the who? He keeps saying, go to the who. How do I focus on the who? I'm going to show you on the screen right now how you focus on the who. What you do. You worship him only. In the middle of the storm. Not just when you get to the other side. You worship him only. You know why? Because worship fixes your focus. When you are worshiping God, you can only focus on him. What, did Peter, what happened to Peter when he was focused on Jesus Christ? He walked on water. The second he stopped and looked at the winds, he started sinking. If you are sinking in your life, you need to do something really simple. You need to worship him only. The power of worship is incredible. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, it is in the process of being worshiped that God reveals his presence the most. If you're one of those Christians that say, I only want to listen to people. I only listen to the Bible. Fine. I got you too. The word of God says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So you're looking for him. You don't know where he is. You're in the storm. You can't see him. Praise him. Worship him. You will feel his presence. You will realize that he is with you in the storm. It's not a ghost. It's Jesus Christ, and he's right there. <laughs> Worship fixes your focus. It draws your attention. No, it doesn't draw your attention. It arrests your attention. It arrests your attention on Christ. And when you are in the storm, that's what you need to make it through, an arrested attention on the only one that you can rest your soul on. Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Y'all, following Christ does not exempt you from the storm. Hear me when I say that it does not exempt you from the storm. I won't read it all to you because we're almost done, but Matthew chapter 7, there's a story about a wise man who builds his house on the rock. A wise man. You heard that story? It's in verse 24. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, wink, wink, that's an important part, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But 
the rain still came, the stream still rose, the wind still blew, but guess what? He was still standing because his house was built on you, on him, on the rock. See, storms still come. The storm came to both the wise man and the fool who built his house on the sand. But the result was completely different. One sank away into the ocean and lost everything. The other one stood firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. Peter in the storm kept his eyes on the rock, Jesus Christ. And in return, you know what happened? Not only did, a, did he walk on water, Jesus Christ said, Peter, you will be the rock upon which I will build my church. You look at the rock, you build on the rock, he builds on you. He builds on you. You don't just get through the storm, you get built up in this storm. He is your firm foundation. Y'all, that story about Peter, you know what? You know what? You know what Jesus said about Peter when he started sinking? He said, Oh, ye of little faith. Peter had just a little faith, and he's standing out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. If this is what can happen with just a little faith, you might say to me, Pastor, I'm not a person of great faith. I just have an average faith. Peter had a little faith. If you have an average faith, what can God do with an average faith? If there are a thousand people in this room tonight with an average faith, what can God do through you? If he can do that with just a little bit of faith. Y'all, please stand to your feet. We're going to go back into worship now. River, you can come out. Kike, you can take my fake art out of here. Appreciate you. Guys, I've spoken to you for a long time tonight. But if you heard nothing else I said, please hear this. Don't bow to the storm. Bolt through it. Don't build on worry. Build on a truth. You don't know what that storm's going to happen. That storm might end tomorrow. And it might be calm and peaceful waters after that. You don't know what worries lie ahead. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds tomorrow. And he holds it in the palm of his hand. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus Christ. Build on that truth. See, when you bow, when you build on worry, when you focus on the what, the devil wins. What? The devil wins. When you, when you focus on worry, it's the only way that the devil wins. But when you focus on who, when you worship him only, when you build on his truth, the devil doesn't have a hope in heaven or hell of winning. If you believe that tonight, I wish you would worship him. So I have a question for you tonight. I have a question for you tonight. Can we send the devil running? Can we send the devil running out of your life tonight? Because if you will focus on him, if you will focus on the king of kings, the devil will run from you as you run to your father. And your father is not far away. He's in the stern of the boat. He's right there. Your savior is right there in the stern of the boat. Some of y'all are like, pastor, I don't do cardio. Me neither. I hate cardio. You don't need cardio to get to God. He stays closer than a brother. He stands at the door of your heart, Revelation 3.20, and knocks. All you got to do is turn the handle. 
Would you turn the handle tonight? Would you focus on the who? Don't run to the worry, run to the truth. The truth of John chapter 1, 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you and your boat than he that is in the world or any storm that it may bring. You know who's in you? Jesus.